Guest speaker today is Rabbi Kirk Glebe. He's the president of the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations. Uh, I've known Kirk for several years. I've been uh, tailing along with the UMJC for a long time and uh, uh, consider uh, the men and women of that group to be among my closest friends. I'm uh, glad that he's able to come and be with us. Uh, he's been with us before. I try to make sure that you get introduced to uh, members of the union so that you will have a sense of uh, belonging in that context. And uh, he's going to uh, share with us from Romans chapter 11. The picture on the back of your uh, bulletin is related to his message. Uh, I'll let him explain it when he's there, but Kirk, we're glad to have you with us. All right. Boker Tov. Well, it means good morning. We'll try it again. Boker Tov. All right. Boker morning. Tov is good. All right. So good morning. How many of you hate the morning? How many of you are more like afternoon's good? Late night is better. Yeah. You like my wife. She loves the evenings. I'm a morning person. And uh, so I'm very happy to be here on this morning uh, to get a chance to share. Uh, as your pastor said, I am uh, uh, Kirk Levy. I'm the uh, rabbi of Devarim at uh, Messianic Synagogue in Skokie. I also lead an outreach in Skokie dedicated to uh, doing outreach evangelism, to use the word among Jewish children, youth, and young adults. And uh, we've uh, had, really had a concerted effort for years to try and effectively figure out how do you reach Jewish kids. Uh, of course, it's not a popular thing to reach Jewish kids with the gospel, uh, but we find it to be actually pretty darn effective. Uh, and uh, so it's not easy, but the best things in life are hard. Uh, and so it's worth, it's worth the effort. Uh, it, it is great to be here. I know we're going to be having our UMJC conference this week. I encourage you to come. Uh, it's going to be an exciting opportunity to learn just a bunch of different things. And you can go online to umjc.org and see all the different uh, options. It's still not... Too late to register, but you probably got to do it on site. Uh, and I uh, do believe it may be too late, though, to get the Shabbat dinner. Uh, but, uh, the, you know, listen, that's just food. Uh, you can come and enjoy all the rest of it. And then next Shabbat, it's free. So on Saturday, you can just show up. It's an open event. And so feel free to come for that, even if you can't come to anything else. All right. Uh, this morning, what I want to do in the time that I have and I'm looking around this room, and it's a beautiful room, but there's not a single clock anywhere. So uh, I'm going to do something. There's a, a long joke uh, that I heard a long time ago. There was a Jewish kid and a Baptist kid. And uh, so the Jewish kid went to the, to the Baptist church, and uh, the pastor got up, and uh, he took off his watch, and he began to preach. And the Jewish kid wanted to know what was this about. And the, 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 the Baptist kid means nothing. Means nothing at all. <clears throat> and so the next week, the, the Baptist kid uh, went with the Jewish kid to his service. And, and he noticed that, that there was absolutely no clocks whatsoever in the synagogue sanctuary. And, and the rabbi didn't touch anything, didn't take anything off. And so the Baptist kid was scared to death because he figured the service would never end. So, uh, and uh, it is true, Jewish services go on forever, Okay. Uh, but uh, this is just to remind me that I know there's time for Q&A later, and I want to make sure I get to that. Uh, this morning, what I'd like to do is I want to talk on a topic that is very controversial within the Messianic Jewish movement. Uh, I want to, uh, you know, really address uh, the topic of purpose. 
of purpose. And uh, in order to do that effectively, my text is going to lose its spot, so let me do this. In order to do this effectively, I want to tell a little story. <clears throat> One of golf's immortal moments came when a Scotchman demonstrated a new game to President Ulysses Grant. Carefully placing the ball on the tee, he took a mighty swing. The club hit the turf and scattered dirt all over the President's beard and surrounding vicinity, while the ball placidly waited on the tee. Again, the Scotchman swung, and again he missed. President Grant waited patiently through six tries and then quietly stated, There seems to be a fair amount of exercise in the game but I failed to see the purpose of the ball. That is a great illustration that I stole from some online illustration thing, uh, but it really is a great illustration often of the way we approach our lives as believers in Yeshua. Do we understand that the scriptures provide for us clarity of purpose on all kinds of levels? Do you realize that your life's purpose is fundamentally to be a testimony for Yeshua, period. Really, to be a light and a, and a testimony, salt and light, Yeshua talks about. That is an important purpose. Do you understand that purpose for your life? Uh, I mean, you've got all these kids. Do you realize that if you are a parent, that it is your purpose to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? That that is your purpose, and that is a clearly, critically important purpose. Even as we know in the world in which we live, where kids are just a disaster today. But you have a very clear purpose. But so often believers don't get that. They don't recognize that they are to be a light uh, and a testimony for Messiah. And that those who are parents are to raise their children to know and follow God. They think about it. They hypothesize about the importance of these things. But they, they do not clearly understand that it is clearly their purpose. They are swinging at the ball of faith, but mostly whiffing. <laughs> They're not hitting anything. In our Messianic Jewish community, which is really diverse, we struggle with the issue of purpose when it comes to Jews and Gentiles. I've talked about this with your pastor, and I should tell you, he is a well-respected part of the greater Messianic Jewish world. We consider him to be an honorary member. He's our Baptist representative. He's one of the few people that really seem to get us more than we get ourselves sometimes. And, and he and I discussed this, that, that the unique thing about the Messianic Jewish community is that we really do clearly represent what is the body of Messiah, the ecclesia, in, in, in its distinction. In the world in which we live, according to the text, you're either born a Jew or a Gentile. And neither one are pejorative terms. All right? There are a lot of people who think, oh, Gentile, pejorative term. No! In Hebrew, what does it mean? Nations. Okay, that's all it means. Israel is called a goy kadosh, a holy nation. All right? So the distinction simply is Jews and Gentiles. What's amazing is when we go into the New Testament text, even we see this in the Hebrew Scriptures, is that God has a unique purpose both for Israel as well as the nations. And yet often within our community, and I think often within the greater body of Messiah, we lose sight of our unique purposes, both as Jews and as Gentiles. And so this morning what I want to do is take a look at Romans 11, 
which is a text that I think really deals with this in a solid manner. And to, uh, and to unpack it a little bit and illustrate with the picture that's on your uh, bulletin, uh, what Paul is trying to communicate here, both for the benefit of, of our community within the Jewish world, as well as your community within the nations, among the nations. Uh, so Romans chapter 11, we're going to begin uh, right at the beginning, verse 1. It says, it says, I say then, God has... I'm having the same eyesight issues. <clears throat> I say then, has God ca- cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars and I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So the chapter begins with Paul saying that God has reserved a remnant of Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as a testimony. And we're going to learn more about that later. But it's a remnant. Now, why is he writing this? The way I understand it, he's writing to primarily, overwhelmingly, a Gentile community in Rome. A community that used to be overwhelmingly Jewish. And uh, again, you can get all the background from your pastors on this. But there was this, this amazing community of faith that came about probably as a result of Acts chapter 2. And it was indigenous. It just as people came, got saved, went back to Rome, and started a Messianic Jewish community. I bet they had their own version of Israel's hope. They had all these things going on. But there was, this, there was fighting within the Jewish community. And it's recorded that uh, uh, during the time of uh, one of the emperors, and I can't remember his name, uh, but the Jews were kicked out over dis- disputes about a guy named Crestus, which you'd have to be really hard-headed not to realize they're talking about Jesus there. All right? Well, the, this community of faith in the Messiah of Israel goes from 100% Jewish, basically, with some Gentiles coming in because they're hearing the gospel and getting saved, to suddenly becoming entirely Gentile. And the sense I get from the book of Romans is that this community began to look down on the Jewish community for their lack of faith and lack of openness to Yeshua faith. You know, that's an interesting pattern. Jewish people are just a wee bit hard-hearted when it comes to the gospel. Have you noticed that? Tried to share your faith with any Jewish friends? Anybody have a Jewish friend you're trying to share with? All right, there's a lot of Jews in this area. Go find a few. There's a lot, but you'll find. They're not open. I mean, they're really not open. Every once in a while, somebody's open. I've been witnessing to a conservative rabbi in my town who is genuinely open to Yeshua faith. It's fascinating. His issues are complicated, but it comes down to what is he going to choose to do? But he's open, but it's rare. One response the church has had in, in the last 2,000 years is to say the Jews are, are, have rejected Jesus, God's done with the Jewish community, and to write them off. You know, that's an awful lot of Christian history. I mean, Christendom, if I said his name properly, you know, had a very negative view of the Jewish community. Christian leader actually wrote a lot of stuff. Some of it's pretty good. But he had a very negative view because, in his opinion, the Jewish people are just so hardened, they're unreasonable. Luther, you know, Luther, that was part of his problem. 
You know, you guys are a well-educated group of people because I know your leaders, okay? Luther really, he, he just absolutely felt that the, he came up to this amazing truth, salvation by grace through faith alone, right? Well, the Jews are just going just gonna to fall on their faces before such a message and say, save us, this is great. And of course, they all said, not interested. And Luther got really upset after a while with their intransigence. And that's the rest of his writings toward the end of his life. Do we lose patience with people that don't seem to get the gospel? Absolutely. The believing community in Rome, they were getting, losing patience. They were really kind of annoyed with the Jewish community for their lack of faith. They're assuming that maybe God's done with Israel. Paul says, no, God is not done with Israel. There is still a remnant who does come to faith. And he illustrates Elijah in the time when Elijah was uh, thinking he was alone. You imagine that you're in Israel. You're the greatest prophet besides Moses, basically, as you see him in terms of all the actions that he does. For the most part, people are not listening to him. It's kind of like Jeremiah, except for at least Elijah's doing some really radical stuff. But people aren't really listening. And of course, he's depressed. He needs probably a little Prozac or get some counseling or something. But, but God, God is his counselor. And God encourages him saying, no, there are 7,000 men who do not, have not bowed the knee to Baal. You know, don't think like this. Get up and be encouraged. There's work to do. Lives are being changed. We always have to have that attitude that God is saving Jewish people. How many? It's, sometimes it's hard to know. I mean, in America today, in our Messianic Jewish congregations, I can only speak within our union, but I don't think we have more than about 1,500 Jews in our, in our union congregations. That's probably true. Not a lot. All right? But I do know that there are thousands of Jews who believe in Yeshua in churches. A lot of them in Baptist churches. Okay? Uh, but there are a lot of Jews who do believe in Yeshua, and they're out there. It's not significant meaning, you know, 10, 15, 20% of the Jewish community believes in Jesus. No. It might be like 1%. It's a remnant. You need to go buy carpet from a remnant store. It's not the best cut. It's usually a piece. God is into pieces. He's going to take a piece of this and a piece of that, and he makes this beautiful thing called the body of Messiah. All right? Have you met that many Fiji believers? You know, how about, uh, uh, you know, there's some amazing people groups out there. You know, you guys are probably involved in missions and you know this. I mean, it's amazing what God is doing in different parts of the world to build this, this beautiful body of Messiah, this tapestry of believers in Yeshua around the world. So, so Jewish people are, are coming to faith, but it's a remnant. It's a remnant. We see that right here in the text. God is indeed saving Jewish people. Now, one of the questions that people do ask in our movement, because our Messianic Jewish congregations in our union, and this is universally true, are only minority Jewish. Most of the people in Messianic Jewish congregations are not Jewish. They're Gentile believers. And many of them ask, well, what's our purpose? And I think uh, the answer for them is the answer for you all too. Do you know that God has a very specific, at least one specific thing beyond what you might think as a purpose for your life? And we find it here in Romans chapter 11. So take a look. At verse 11, and then we're going to read a little farther down. Verse 11 says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. You are to make Jews jealous. Specifically. 
I mean, you can make everybody jealous. Jealous for your faith. Jealous for, for your relationship that you have with God. But specifically, according to this text, one of your purpose, clear purposes, is to make Jewish people jealous for their Jewish Messiah. When I was 15 years of age, I met a, a Gentile gal, a guy named Russ. And we called Russ Moose because Russ was all brawn, no brain, and, but a great guy. And Russ was a Mormon. You know, Mormons, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the guys who don't put crosses, they put Moroni on the top of the building. Russ became a believer in Jesus. And I'm like, he's an interesting character, Russ, because he's not a deep thinker. But when he became a believer, his life changed. He took his faith really seriously. And I'm watching Russ's life. And he prays and things happen. And I'm like, wow, this is real. I want what you have. And so I eventually become a believer in Jesus because Russ demonstrated such an amazing testimony of faith. Even if it was Jesus. It must be true, because your life is just amazing. I want a life like yours. Do you have a testimony like that? When people look at your life, do they look at your life and go, wow, your life has changed. You're such a wonderful person. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But do we try to live lives that are enviable, where people look at us and they see a genuine, authentic faith? Your purpose is to live a testimonial life, specifically so that Jewish people look at you and they see their Jewish Messiah. And they're drawn to Yeshua because of your testimony. That is a clear purpose stated here in this text. But then it goes on. Take a look at verse 17. I'm going to lift my text again to read it. It says in verse 17, And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. We have this whole amazing illustration of grafted in. And, uh, you know, a lot lot of people wonder, what does that really mean? Anybody here, a horticulturalist, you, you know all about grafting, anybody? You've seen it demonstrated. Good. All right, so when you graft something in, what are you doing? You're taking a, uh, some kind of, uh, it's a branch from a tree that is relatable to the tree that's existing, the stump, and you're grafting in. Now, technically, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to have a root that is solid and firm and healthy. Okay, and you're grafting in generally more refined branches. All right, so uh, I'm going to read an illustration, and you can look at the back here. This uh, <clears throat> this is this is exciting. This is really exciting. That's why I've got to read it. I want to make sure you really understand what's going on here. They said it couldn't be done, but I did it anyway. If you are familiar with grafting, in which a twig, a living twig from one variety of plant, is grafted to another different variety. You know that the process is tricky enough with similar plants, but next to impossible outside of the family tree. Here in Florida, this is from a guy in Florida. Here in Florida, for example, almost all of our nursery-grown citrus trees are grafted plants. At the citrus nursery, they graft twigs from known and desired varieties of citrus, 
citrus to sour orange rootstocks. In other words, they take desirable twigs of, of desirable fruit, so good solid fruit twigs, grafting them into a good solid base stock that may not necessarily produce great fruit. So you get the illustration? The sour orange tree is almost bulletproof when it comes to diseases in the soil, drought, and even cold weather. The more delicate but tastier citrus variety is surgically grafted to the sour orange stump, and the two become one. Generally, crossing the family tree barrier is an epic fail. That is why I can go out and buy a lemon-lime tree that has lemon twigs grafted to a lime tree, or vice versa. But I can't go out and buy a mango-peach tree. Wouldn't that be interesting? The difference is just too great genetically. Of course, the thing about the impossible is, well, it's just so challenging. That's why I like this guy. So this winter, I tried the impossible, and I failed over and over and over again. But you know, sometimes it's that last turn of the wrench that loosens the rusted bolt. For me, it was the 30th grafted twig that did the impossible. 29 withered and died, but one. The one you see in the picture above, or the picture here, well, it took... In my backyard, I now have a 20-year-old Anna apple tree that is not only producing apples, but it, is all, it also has one branch that is producing Meyer lemons. <laughs> it's like not possible, but it worked. I he says he chose the Meyer because he likes it. Anyway, so he can look forward to picking both lemons and apples, which is great. And he gets two crops a year. Imagine that. Now, I, you know, a lot of us, myself included, thought, well, when you graft something in, so you graft a branch in, it's going to produce the fruit of the stump. No, it produces its own unique fruit. Now, in our movement, a lot of people talk about being grafted in. And people get all excited. They start wearing yarmulkes and talesim and blowing shofars and learning the hora and, and thinking they got to keep kosher and observe the law and all. And it's like, well, where did that come from? It's a misunderstanding. A Gentile, a person of the nations come to faith in Messiah Yeshua. And they mistakenly, too often within our movement, think that they have to start acting Jewish. Now, when I became a believer in Jesus, one of the first things that hit me in the head, I'll never forget this. I said, wow, well, if I believe in Jesus, I can, I can, I can stay as a Jew. Just like my, my Chinese friend doesn't have to become Jewish to believe in Jesus. Because I had a Chinese friend, you know. Isn't it amazing? The gospel is all about people coming into right relationship with God, but not changing who they are in terms of who they are. It's about the message of the gospel and the truth of who the God of Israel is going out into the nations. And that the people of the nations live as a testimony and actually a remnant testimony among their own people. I think that's just fascinating. It's an issue that we struggle with, though, in our Messianic Jewish movement is too many people get enamored with Jewish stuff. I'm an Ashkenazi Jew. I'm actually a conflicted Ashkenazi Jew because my mother's side are Polish or Russian and my father's side are German. And so there's all kinds of conflict in my family. But, but you know what? My Jewish identity is who I am. allows me to be a testimony among my people. There are some unique things that God has for me to do as a Jew. But as an individual follower of Messiah Yeshua, I have unique opportunities and responsibilities just like you do. 
You have unique opportunities and responsibilities that I cannot fulfill. It's not my calling. It's not who I am. But it is your calling. It's who you are. Have you ever thought about the fact that as a member of the body of Messiah, that God does not call us to, to basically turn into vanilla ice cream, but God likes the 31 flavors, or as the scriptures talk about the 70 nations, and that uniqueness of who you are as a follower of Messiah Yeshua allows your testimony to be enhanced within your community. And then what's amazing, when you, when you do interact with Jewish people, because again, one purpose you have is to be a testimony of God's faithfulness to Israel as a believer in the Jewish Messiah, even if you're not a Jew. But to think that when Jewish people see you, and they see that you believe in the God of Israel, but you happen to be Irish, and you love Irish dancing, and you're living out and you're who you are as an Irish person, you know. I'm just using that as an example. All right? It's amazing how that can resonate. Actually, what's funny is there's a whole there's a church I speak at to uh, speak at in Skokie. Skokie is an interesting city, but they're Japanese Christians, and I love to go there and remind them, since they all live in Skokie, how important it is for them as Japanese believers to witness to their Jewish friends, because the Jewish people all think they're like into some strange, weird, unique religion. You're like Shinto, right? Or Buddhist or something. No, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Wow! A lot of people don't think about that, though. The uniqueness of who God made us to be. All of us, as followers of Messiah Yeshua, have a purpose. The purpose is to be our own unique testimony of God's faithfulness. And specifically for you guys, though, or, I'm assuming you're all Gentile followers of Messiah Yeshua today. But to, to think that, that God in some supernatural, unique way is going to be able to use you as a testimony to Jewish people. But to recognize that as part of your purpose. Now what's interesting... Um, I lost my watch. <coughs> I covered it up. Oh, okay. Uh, what's interesting again... And it's one of the challenges within our Messianic Jewish community, and especially our union, is to affirm Gentile identity. And uh, that's something that uh, we've been working on. Uh, if you ever hear anybody within our union say anything that makes you feel as a second-class citizen, as a Gentile follower of Messiah Yeshua, you just let me know. I'll be happy to go talk to those people. All right, Because I think there's one thing that's fascinating to me is the body of Messiah around the world. And, and, the, and the, the, just the variety of what it is and the st- distinction that exists and the value that we all have together. I'm here to get today really to, to, to speak because I want to encourage you in, in the Word of God, but to be encouraged by you. Because we're all part of the same body of Messiah. Now, the one thing that we struggle with in our Messianic Jewish world, though, is the fact that most of our Jewish believers couldn't care less about really identifying and living out Jewish life. All right? I mean, again, if you were to go to pick any big mega church in the air, Saddleback, we'll pick Saddleback because that's also Southern Baptist. I know a girl who goes to Saddleback. She was just with me on my Israel trip. I take a group, I always take uh, Jewish young adults, college age, to Israel, get them to think about making Aliyah, moving to Israel, help them with their identity. This girl is going there. It's a great church. It, it, it doesn't help her at all in her identity as a Jew. They just don't even understand it. All right? And it's the one thing that troubles me. If you look at this text, take a look a little farther down. Take a look at verse 25. 
Uh, it says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away in godliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Considering the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. You know, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What is the purpose of a Jew today? The purpose of Israel as a general rule is to show that God is still God. That God is still active. You know, uh, one of the, I can't remember who it was, Sir Walter Raleigh or, or somebody else. Uh, but uh, so, someone asked the question, you know, show me the, 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 the uh, you know, a proof for, for the existence of God. And someone said, the Jew. <laughs> you know, and it's true. There's no reason for us to exist except for the fact that we exist as a testimony of God's faithfulness. Some Jewish people can be very, very good. A lot of Jewish people can be very, very bad. You know, but, but regardless, Jewish people exist as a demonstration of God's faithfulness. Yet too many Jewish believers don't take that seriously. They miss an understanding of their unique purpose. It doesn't mean that they have to live an Orthodox Jewish life or conservative Jewish life or pick, you know, some, some sense of that if you're familiar with it. But it, it's really about them being willing to identify publicly with the Jewish community. It's a willingness to stand up in a crowd and say, yes, I'm a Jew. I'm a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, will, and willing to live that out in some way so that they can be distinct and their testimony can be seen as obvious. You know, if you, this is a good one. If you have Jewish friends that are, that are believers in Yeshua, and, and when you go out to eat, they're the first to, or, to belly up to the pork section of the bar at a buffet, you should talk to them and say, well, now, i got a question for you. Do you know that the book of Romans talks about the fact that God still has a purpose for you? How are you living on your purpose as a Jew? That may seem like a strange thing, but listen, if you could, you got to get the people through their belly, you know? <laughs> and, and so that's a good way to start. It's a good way to start. But this is how you can be an encouragement to the Jewish believers you know. As you understand your purpose is to help them be reminded of their purpose. We all need to live on purpose. Because you know what? God has a work he's trying to do in this world. God is bringing this world, even as you were reading today, he's bringing this world to a position where eventually, and I think soon, the Messiah Yeshua will return. And uh, when he returns, all that matters is what we do for him. Uh, I know you're all saving for retirement, uh, hopefully. (laughs) And uh, yet, you know, listen, if it doesn't, you don't need it, it's okay. You know, if Yeshua comes back, I think we're all going to be taken care of. Uh, So to live for him and to think about how we can be a testimony for him. The greater world needs our testimony, but, but the Jewish community needs your testimony. So give that thought. Give that consideration. Consider what type of fruit specifically God wants you to show and to produce out of your unique life. So that's what I wanted to share this morning with you all. And uh, again, uh, just to end, actually, I wanted to read the very last part of the uh, chapter. In verse uh, 33, it says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. 
For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Ultimately, that's the goal. All right. Well, I understand that uh, you, have an op- you always take questions.